This presentation has been previously broadcast. The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. You know, women's reproductive rights and the right to abortion is a, is a very hotly contested topic with people who have strong opinions in both directions. It was a real shame to, I believe, the integrity of this body and to the process to see the way in which this bill was brought to the floor today. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, well, good afternoon and welcome. It's good to be with you today. That was New Jersey Assemblyman Brian Burgeon talking about a New Jersey abortion bill that was fast-tracked. Uh, and look, I'll discuss it a little bit later in this hour. This is one of those topics that when it comes to the life issue, sometimes I know you tune out, right? I, I know I do too. I mean, I'm pro-life, you're pro-life, or you're pro-death, and you know, <laughs> you don't care, right? You're either on one side of the aisle, there's no middle ground on this particular topic. But I got to tell you what's happening in the state of New Jersey coming up. Unbelievable what what is taking place. The fact that you can kill a child up to birth. I'll tell you the latest piece of fast-track legislation, but... Um, we'll get into that coming up. Uh, abortion was the top cause of death worldwide for a third year in a row during 2021. So uh, a little later, we'll talk about the times in which we live and how to discern what's unfolding around us. And I, I just, I see these as a very dark time, a time where globally we cry out for the vengeance of God. I, I don't know whether you agree with that or disagree with that. And we can take a look at that. Uh, every era has had its, uh, every epoch has had its evil. You know, there's no question about that. Um, you know, our time is not different. But when abortion is the top cause of death worldwide for the third year in a row, I don't think there is another sin that calls down the justice of God like, like abortion. And I know a lot of women make the mistake of having an abortion. I never want to condemn a woman who's done this. Um, so often she feels this is her only solution. I get that. And God is ultimately merciful. But I think of the cities of Gomorrah, the cities of Sodom. I think of so many other nations, even Poland itself, when the Lord came to Faustina and revealed the chaplet. Um, what was the great sin in Europe at the time? It was abortion. Faustina suffered the, the pains uh, of what it was like to go through that. Um, and the chaplet really is a byproduct of it. Um, I, I think we live in special times. I'll fill you in. I don't want to camp out on this too much right now, but bring you up to speed on it. Of course, look. You're welcome to join me anytime. It's always good to hang out with you. Good to talk with you. You know how much I, I love our afternoons together. And anytime you want to get in, it's 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. I hope you're doing well. I hope COVID has not run through your household or now has you in the grips. Just about everybody I know is coming down with it. It's crazy. In fact, you know, I was going to have my teeth cleaned next week, right? I'll give you a little inside baseball my phone must have rang six times today with dentist office saying, oh, we could do you today. We could do you tomorrow. We could do you this. I think people are canceling like crazy. I, I know the same thing with elective surgeries, a whole lot of other things. So, um, you know, stay healthy, uh, stay safe. We'll talk, uh, you know, keep you up to speed on a lot of those issues coming up. But let me tell you what's going on in the world right now. I'll bring you up to speed on a couple of, uh, I think, important issues and um, always try to give you a look at life. You know, you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, the National Scoreboard Association, let's talk about that. And they wrote to the president in September. They asked for some federal help under the Patriot Act because of parents pushing back on, on these school boards over the use of, of uh, critical race theory 
And you know what they called those parents? And this really did not sit well. They called them domestic terrorists. Remember that? Parents concerned about what their kids are being educated uh, with, you know, the type of ideology they're being indoctrinated with. They're being called terrorists, domestic terrorists. Well, just a few days later, the Attorney General, Merrick Garland, he activated the FBI. Remember the story started tracking those parents? Well, Fox News has uncovered another memo showing that the School Board Association wrote that letter at the behest of the Education Secretary, Miguel uh, Cardona. And, and that's in addition to the, the admission that the you know, NSBA had coordinated the letter with the, with the White House. So you can see the, the machinations. You can see what's happening at the highest levels of government. Just putting that on your radar, a follow-up to a story that we have covered, just to let you know what's unfolding there. Uh, is uh, More people are, are getting COVID, even though they've been fully vaccinated and, and boosted. And I've seen a lot of reports. We talked about that yesterday. There's a debate right now among scientists about what the best test for detecting it will be. Now, I, you know, if you've been tested for COVID, you know they stick that swab up your nose, right? Not a pleasant experience, or at least the first few times it wasn't. You know, I, I remember they first did it, man. It felt like they were going right to your brain. But what <laughs> what ends up happening now, I don't think they go as deep. I don't know whether the test is more sensitive. There's talk now that they may not have to go in, in your nasal passage. Uh, they might do a throat swab. Uh, the at-home tests use the nasal swab. But apparently they aren't detecting the Omicron variant of COVID early enough. So the FDA is concerned about people using these throat swabs at home because they're more complicated than the nasal swabs. But many are taking the tests and uh, it's now possible, uh, you know, that that throat swabs could be more accurate. Uh, Take a listen to this report from KMTV News. They'll fill you in. It it does appear from... Uh, data that we're getting in Omicron infections that saliva and oral secretions seem to have more virus in it. Dr. James Lawler with Nebraska Medicine says research is showing that throat swabs are getting more accurate results with the new Omicron variant. The swabs meant for saliva are not widely available at this point. Some people are instead using at-home kits made for nasal testing to swab their throats. But I wouldn't recommend just taking, you know, a home test, for instance, that's designed to be used with a nasal swab and, and just, you know, on your own start swabbing your mouth. Lawler says tests go through a rigorous validation process and using a test in the wrong way could interfere with results. But he would like to see more proper saliva testing made available. And that type of testing, saliva testing is an easy mechanism to scale. Uh, and it's it's very reliable. The results are quite good, even before Omicron. And with Omicron, again, they may be even better. The same time, Lawler says some early research is showing that antigen and PCR tests used in the nose are more often coming back with false negatives. All right. So there you have it. We'll stay on top of that story for you. Uh, Omicron? Tough to detect, extremely contagious, 70 times more contagious than any of the other variants. It's spreading like wildfire, over 5 million people out sick. We'll see what those numbers continue to be. I think they're going to be on the rise for a little bit. We're going to get through this. Though. I was talking to somebody earlier today, and we both had this conversation. It can seem pretty dark right now. We will get through this. Omicron will pass, right? And COVID will get behind us. There will be better days coming your way. Just hang on. Stay the course, right? Uh, NPR actually reported there's a new anti-COVID vaccine available. I know a lot of people are looking for that. And we talked about COVID, 
Uh, oh, what was it? Covavax? Is that the one I was thinking of, uh, Patrick? Covavax, Novavax. I mean, there's Novavax. Uh, there's another Cova. There's one I just saw today. It was called uh, Corbavax. Okay, Corbavax, C-O-R-B-E-V-A-X. And it's an anti-COVID vaccine. It was developed in Texas. And from what I read, and, and I'll dive into this maybe later in the week, give you more information on it. I'm sure you're going to want to know. Uh, this is a true vaccine. Uh, however, you know, from what the report indicated is it's not going to be available here in the U.S. Right now, India is the only country that has green-lighted for emergency use authorization. The vaccine was developed at, uh, at Baylor University. And uh, doctors who developed it, they're allowing others to use the, their, their intellectual property for free. I think it's fantastic. Now, here's the kicker, though, right? This vaccine, guess how much it's going to cost, right? Only going to cost between a dollar and a dollar and a half per dose. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Compare that to what? You know how much Pfizer's costs? $150 to $175. Uh, that to me is just absolutely phenomenal. I want to applaud them for the work and for what they're doing. I hope this becomes, uh, you know, available worldwide. Think how much money that would save the government. You know, how much it would save you, the taxpayer. Pfizer vaccine, $150 to $175, right? Um, dollar, dollar and a half for, for this new vaccine that's out, if it makes it to the U.S. Uh, even the 1950, they're charging the U.S. government. That's what the government's paying for the Pfizer vaccine. But it, it's it, it's too bad we won't be able to get the vaccine here. And, and who knows how long it'll take before that you know does become the case, if at all. Uh, doctors at the University of Maryland, uh, in terms of the medical front, did something that uh, it just shows you where we are in terms of of science and technology. Um, doctors at the University of Maryland successfully completed a major and a controversial experiment recently. I'm sure you probably heard about this if you didn't. Listen to this. Doctors were able to transplant a genetically modified pig heart into a human recipient. And the person has lived to tell the tale. Now, up to now, any use of animal tissue has brought immediate rejection by the body. And the person with this heart transplant, not not a young person either. I mean, it's not like they're 30 or 25 in, in, in their prime. 57 years old, right? 57-year-old David Bennett. I knew it was a big experiment. Knew he could possibly die. Um, he's ineligible for a regular transplant procedure, so he decided to roll the dice and go for it. So this new animal has, um, you know, has emerged as helping a, a heart transplant as a as, as a pig heart was transplanted in a in a human this week, and uh, ABC did some coverage on it. I think they'll tell you the story uh, pretty well. Check this out. We've never done this in a human. This morning, surgeons at the University of Maryland cautiously celebrating an apparent medical breakthrough, successfully implanting a pig heart into a patient with end-stage heart disease. He's awake. He is recovering and speaking to his caregivers. And um, we hope uh, that uh, the recovery that he is having now will continue. The first-of-its-kind procedure, 57-year-old David Bennett's last chance for survival after he was deemed ineligible for a traditional transplant. His level of illness was uh, probably exceeded our, our, our standards for what would be safe for human heart transplantation. Physicians say the groundbreaking surgery shows that a genetically modified animal heart can function like a human heart without immediate rejection by the body. It is a game changer. We have uh, modified 10 genes in this, in this big heart. 
four genes were knocked out, three of them responsible for producing antibodies that causes rejection. But the long-term outcome is still unknown. The pig heart will be attacked by different soldiers in our body. Different immune players can take it out and we have designed a treatment plan in addition to the humanized, genetically edited heart to try to account for that. You know, we live in an amazing time, don't we? I mean, the, the technology that moves uh, forward and at the pace at which it's moving is just, it's astounding, whether it's in medicine or space or innovation, you, you name the area of uh, the field, it's really accelerating. I, I heard Ronald Reagan, I was surfing the channels the other day and I heard a news clip from Ronald Reagan and, and there was something he said that struck me. And, and you have to think back to the time in which he was president. He says, there are people today who... You know, he says we are living uh, and, and 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 taking for granted things that today that that people of the past uh, thought unimaginable, and that's really true. I, and, and I think about the you know a pig transplant into a heart that's unimaginable. Whoever thought about that? That's science fiction, right? Uh, and, and again, you think about Ronald Reagan, and you think about the the eighties. You think about you think of just just think about the the. Just think of where we've come from from the 60s, from 69 when we put a man on the moon, right? There's more power in your cell phone than there was on Apollo 11, right? And can you imagine the, you know, the people just at the turn of the century? I mean, you're putting ice in, in your ice box in order to keep food cold. People deliver ice on a horse and carriage, right? The, the thought of flying, that was unimaginable. You know, that you could be in, in, in several hours to another nation. You can cross the, the Atlantic or the Pacific. And think about climate-controlled homes, right? On a blistering hot day somewhere in the south to be able to walk into a room that's, you know, a cool 68 degrees, you know, or <laughs> or a, you know, blistering cold day, a frigid day, you know, somewhere in, 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 in the frozen tundra of Wisconsin to be able to go in and enjoy a nice balmy 72 room. I mean, to have indoor plumbing and to have so many of these things that people just take for granted. Who knows what our kids and our kids' kids will one day take for granted that today we think or unimaginable, but I, I, was, I was struck by what he said. You know, that pig transplant, one final thought on that, if, if I could. Um, I, I, P, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, right, PETA, uh, they raised a, a good point. You know what they said? They actually said the risk of transmitting unknown viruses along with the animal organ is real. And in a time of a pandemic, well, it should be enough to, to end those studies forever. So we'll see what happens. We'll talk more about that coming up too. Hey, I want to uh, go to my next guest and uh, we're going to be, I want to fill you in on what's happening in the state of New Jersey. And uh, there's a lot coming up here. But before I do, let me tell you what Senator Chuck uh, Schumer, uh, the majority leader, uh, wants to do. He's pressing forward right now on plans to get rid of the filibuster. Um, and uh, he may not get there according to Politico. Uh, of course, Senator Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Cinema. You know, there are obstacles to his plan. But uh, Senators Mark Kelly of Arizona and, and John Tester of Montana and uh, the uh, the senator from New Hampshire, I'm trying to remember the name, Sh uh, Shaheen, I forget the Shaheen. Thank you, Patrick. Right. Uh, they, they all have reservations right now about the so-called nuclear option, you know, getting rid of the filibuster and its 60-vote threshold altogether. But Schumer wants to get rid of the filibuster so he can pass his party's version of the federal election reform on a simple majority vote. Not clear at all if he's going to get all the members in the party to do that, but he wants to do it. So this is a hot topic right now on Capitol Hill. 
and chances are, um, and you never know, who knows, he might be successful. Here's what Byron York of the Washington Examiner had to say on Fox News. Listen. An incredibly important issue, and it appears that Chuck Schumer is now forcing members of his party to pick a side on this issue, going farther than we have seen him go before on it. Where does it go? Probably nowhere. I mean, the, the Democrats' biggest problem has always been uh, in this last year that they do not control a majority of seats in the U.S. Senate. It's a 50-50 tie. They have to depend on Vice President Harris to break a tie. So to do this, when every single Republican opposes them, they have to get all 50 of their members together to vote and then have Vice President Harris break the tie. Right now, we know that Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema oppose getting rid of the legislative filibuster. Uh, we think that there are others who are very nervous about that because they know they're going to be uh, in the minority someday, and the, and the filibuster will come in handy to stop Republican uh, measures. So Schumer has a very, very hard time getting this done. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's obstinate, wants to go ahead and do it. I, 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 hope, <laughs> I hope he doesn't find the success he's looking for, but you never know. As I said, look, I'll put that on your radar. That's what's happening there on Capitol Hill. Let me tell you what else is going on, uh, especially in the state of New Jersey, and we'll take a look around the country. The Supreme Court is getting ready, and I'll tell you this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll the dice and say they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. I, I really believe that's going to happen. And, of course, I think a lot of states recognize this. That's why a number of individual states right now are writing their own legislation on abortion. They see the writing on the wall. They know the science was bad. They know that Roe's going to fall. Some of the states are outlawing it, you know, outright. Others, like New Jersey, they're enshrining it. They are enshrining it into the law. Shame on you, New Jersey. Governor Phil Murphy, is uh, he's on his way out of office and the state legislature is going to be more closely divided than it has been in the past. So I believe Democrats uh, are going to still control the entire government there. Uh, LifeSite News, they reported the, the legislator, uh, legislature passed a bill that allows abortion. Now listen to this. This is what's so macabre. Up until birth. Can you imagine that? They can kill that child up until birth and it allows and here's even the, the weirder part of it not just as macabre and evil as that is but it allows for non-doctors to perform them and it has a mechanism in it that will likely get rid of the state's parental notification law I, I, I mean I can't think of anything more nefarious anything more dark or evil can you imagine some young girl being abused and, and being forced to have that abortion? No parental notification. Somebody who's not a physician, whether there's a complication. In Massachusetts, there's a bill that would require colleges and universities to provide free abortions to any girl who wants one. And that's modeled on California law. The, the Commonwealth's hoping that once it passes, private colleges and universities are going to follow suit. You know, the, the Boston Globe said that uh, the bill would require the state's 13 public university campuses to provide abortion pills and to create a state fund to help cancer, uh, campus health uh, centers pay for training and for security upgrades and for telehealth and whatever equipment's necessary. So we're, we're, this is, look, we knew this was coming. We know Rose going to fall, and this is what we're seeing. This is the new battleground. I'm joined right now by Kristen Hawkins. She is president of Students for Life of America and Students for Life Action. You can find them online at studentsforlife.org. I've invited her here today to give us some perspective on this unfolding story. Uh, Kristen, thank you for your time. Good to have you back. Thanks for having me again. 
Well, let's start with New Jersey. I am so disturbed by this bill. Governor Phil Murphy, even though he's a, he's a Catholic, <laughs> I put that in air quotes, um, he's going to sign it. He's expected to sign it. Um, this is a radical bill. Uh, maybe you can articulate it better than I can. How radical of a bill is this? I mean, lay it out for those who may not really comprehend the enormity of this. Yeah, I mean, I think you did a very well good job describing just the insanity that's happening there in New Jersey. Um, this is abortion extremism. And this is really the extent of the abortion lobby in the United States of America and the official position of the Democratic National Party. Uh, don't let anyone tell you, you know, you know, you can have a little bit of abortions or that there are politicians who, you know, doesn't really support abortions, but, you know, will vote for them because other people might have different religious beliefs. Um, this is a full-on uh, war to end the lives of children. That's exactly uh, what they're doing. This, there is no semblance of modern, you know, modernizing abortion laws or, you know, being in the middle here. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is as far as they want to go. Um, and that's what they're doing. And I think, you know, you mentioned the, the Massachusetts law as well. I mean, this is really only the beginning. This is really the first week in, in a lot of um, most places of, you know, their state legislative session. So you're going to start seeing a lot of legislation in, in the next week, uh, week or two, and then in the coming months coming from state capitals in red and blue states um, as these state legislators uh, really grapple with the fact that, you know, the decision of abortion will soon be coming to them. And, and, and you know, those on the left and on the right are going to be kind of laying that groundwork for uh, a row reversal in June. I, I, I'm assuming you, you probably share my view. I, I tend to think just based on the law itself that that row will fall. Uh, do you expect that to happen? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's hard to ever guess uh, what the Supreme Court's going to do, um, but I, I definitely think that it is looking very, very good for the pro-life movement. Yeah. Um, the I don't know if you listened to the oral arguments. I was at the airport after we had been out all day listening to the audio recording and probably making a fool of myself uh, <laughs> at the airport being so, you know, outraged that, you know, Justice Sotomayor, you know, one of the most powerful women in America, um, doesn't understand basic biology. But the arguments went very well for the pro-life movement. And, I mean, really, just to sum up what the pro-choice pro side said and the abortionists said at the Supreme Court was yeah. essentially no backsies that, you know, Roe versus Wade has been around since 1973 and we can't go back. That was literally their entire argument. There, there, there was not another argument. Um, and, you know, the, the justices, of multiple justices asked, well, why should, should it, you know, the court be speaking on this? Shouldn't the court also be neutral on this as, it, you know, as it is in the Constitution? The Constitution is neutral on abortion. Right. Um, so, I, you know, I, like I said, I don't want to predict or speak into to what the court will do, but I, I do think the fa very fact that they picked up the case uh, was a very good sign for those of us in the movement listening to the oral arguments also told you that we brought our A game to the court. Uh, Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Finch and her team uh, brought their A game to the court and, and defending uh, the pro-life position and speaking up for all of these vulnerable children. Well, Kristen, I only have a moment or two left here. I'm just curious about what we're going to see on college campuses across the country sure. now as I talked about what's happening with this yeah. bill in Massachusetts. If, that, yeah. if the Bay State passes this bill, um, 
what do we expect yeah, in terms of the number of abortions? This is a new frontier. This is a new frontier of abortions. Already half of abortions are committed with chemical abortions. They understand in the abortion lobby that regardless of what the Supreme Court decides in Dobbs, majority of Americans reject second and third trimester abortions. They know that, you know, prayer vigils, 40 Days for Life campaigns, Sawak Advocate campaigns um, hurt uh, these freestanding abortion facilities and their abortion numbers. So they want these abortions to be committed via webcam uh, without a woman ever even having to go to a, a quote unquote, you know, dirty abortion facility. Uh, she can just order her abortion drugs via Amazon. Um, and, and, and they want to, you know, use college campuses, which, by the way, are not equipped to handle. Uh, what the side effects of these drugs are. I mean, these drugs, these chemical abortion drugs, first of all, are not the morning after pill. I get asked this right, question right. way too often. Chemical abortion drugs are not the morning after pill, and they have four times the complication rate of a surgical abortion. Wow. It is safer to get a surgical wow. abortion than to undergo a chemical abortion. But yet the abortion industry wants to peddle these drugs because it's cheaper for them to commit the abortions. They don't have to pay to dispose of the children once they've aborted them. And they'll be able to skirt laws like the Texas heartbeat law. Um, mm-hmm. They'll be able to operate in states and commit abortions in states that may, after you know Dobbs' decision comes out, if Roe is reversed, they'll be able to essentially commit right. abortions in those states because they'll be shipping them from California, New York, right. and Massachusetts. Well, let's do this. I have about a moment or two left. I'm going to sneak Marie in very quickly. She's listening in Monroe Township, New Jersey. I think she's got an update on what's happening there. Hi, Marie. Hi. Uh, what I wanted to do is correct something that you said earlier, that Phil Murphy, the governor, the Catholic governor, is on his way out. He is not on his way out. He just got reelected, and he's going to be in charge for another four years. Oh, and there's absolutely no doubt he's going, he's going to sign this bill. If he hasn't done it already today because it passed yesterday. Marie, thank you. We appreciate the call and the, and the follow-up and the clarity there. Let's pray for him. Let's pray for these Catholic leaders, so-called Catholic leaders. Murphy, Pelosi, Biden. So frustrating for me as a Catholic when I see this. Very and uh, You know, it goes down it's to the electorate, too. You know, we put these people in office. You know, we have to have yeah. well-formed... You know, uh, life-protecting individuals. I think a convert, Drew, just to speak as a convert to Catholicism, anytime you have these public officials who proclaim to be Catholic publicly and then do such outrageous things like sign these (laughs) reproductive choice acts into law and then, but then also champion their Catholic faith, it hurts, it hurts our entire church. It certainly does. Well, Kristen, thank you for your good work you do. I hope people will follow you and uh, get plugged in. i got to leave it there. Best way to follow the work that you're doing, how can people Studentsforlife.org. Studentsforlife.org. Right. Look us up on Facebook or go to ProLifeSummit.org. We've got a big thing happening next week. <laughs> and we got a big year ahead of us, Kristen, so I know you will be talking much right. more. Keep up your good work, okay? I'm grateful for it. Thank you. Pray for right. us. You got it. That's Kristen Hawkins. I'm going to take a short pause. I will be back with more. Stay with me. Hey, today we'd like to thank Linda, who's listening in Nevada, for donating her Dodge. Join with thousands of other listeners to donate your old vehicle by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. All the news and issues now that are happening now. One place. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Now. Hey, thanks for joining me. Coming up in about 25 minutes, maybe 35 minutes, we'll pray the chaplain. If you are just tuning in, though, I've been monitoring what's happening with um, with the economy and trying to 
just uh, stay on top of it for you. We're going to be joined by Tom um, Hane coming up in just a moment here. We'll give you some insight on what's happening. I had heard that the uh, feds are talking about uh, raising uh, the interest rates. Not once, not twice. I know you probably heard three. I saw an article this morning saying they're going to raise it four times. So one of the big things that could affect Americans, uh, you and me in our economy, are these interest rate hikes. Uh, how many are we going to actually encounter take a listen to this this comes from wells fargo's strategist zach griffiths i said this on yahoo news how many interest rate hikes do you believe we are in for in 2022 yeah alexis great to be with you again we think it's going to be a year of multiple rate hikes something between two and four makes sense to us and i'd say the information coming out of the fed more recently and the commentary both from Chairman Powell and other regional Fed presidents has been very hawkish, and they seem to be setting up to even consider adjusting the size of the balance sheet this year. So we think that that will come after several rate hikes. We think those are in line for some time around the middle of this year, perhaps could even start as soon as March. And as far as the balance sheet reduction goes, we think that that could come into play in the second half of this year, perhaps to get enacted in the first part of 2023. So what's that going to mean for you, for your bottom line? You know, all of us right now are watching as prices are going up everywhere, right? The price of groceries and gas and cars, a whole bunch of other things are going up. Inflation last year, uh, it rose, I believe it was 7%. And in the 10 previous years, the highest rate was 3%. The lowest, 0.7%, 0.7%. Okay, that was the lowest, 0.7%. Uh, so you're looking at an average of what, 1.75%? The current inflation rate, it shows no signs of slowing down. In fact, this is the, the worst inflation we've seen since the 1970s. And again, I don't want to scare you. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to bum you out or depress you. I, I just want to be honest with you. I want to give you a realistic look at what, what's happening and figure out how we can resolve these issues. There are a number of reasons for this. Uh, of course, you've got supply chain problems, right? People all over the country you probably have seen these, right? They're posting pictures of empty shelves at the grocery stores. Uh, Jim Garrity, who writes for the National Review, he pointed out this morning that TV stations all over the country, there are reporting shortages hitting groceries everywhere. I, I was watching a news report last night where blood banks are short on blood too. So if you can donate blood, please do that. But um, shelves are empty. There are limited supplies. When there's limited supplies, what happens? Prices naturally go up, right? The laws of supply and demand. That's a, you know, a very basic economic law. There's also the fact that the government, starting in March of 2020, started giving out money to people because of the shutdown caused by COVID. And when you start putting, when you start printing a lot more money and pumping it into the system, that's going to drive prices up. But there's something else. There's something else that's been going on behind the scenes. And if you listen to my regular guest, Peter Grandage, you've heard him talk about the Federal Reserve's policy. He talked about quantitative easing, right? And, and basically that means that the Fed was just, just making up money out of thin air and then giving it to the major banks like Goldman Sachs for them to distribute to the tunes of hundreds of billions of dollars over, over several years. And, and this quantitative easing has made Wall Street very happy because money's cheap, right? But having this much cheap money in our system then creates... A vicious cycle. And according to one former member of the Federal Open Market Committee, we're now on the receiving end of that cycle. 
I'm joined, as I said, by a distinguished senior fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Dr. Thomas Honig joins me today. Uh, he headed up the FDIC, and before that, he was the president of the Federal Reserve Regional Bank in Kansas City, and it's great to have him with us this afternoon. Uh, doctor, I appreciate your time. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good to be with you. Thank you. In, in, in 2010, uh, the uh, then, I, I guess it was uh, Chairman Bernanke, uh, Ben Bernanke, he wanted to start this quantitative easing program. And, and I, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but my understanding is that you are the only member of, uh, of the FOMC to vote against doing that. Uh, explain why and what was happening then. Just give us some perspective on your rationale. Sure. Well, I think the thing to remember, uh, as you described it, quantitative easing is the purchase of assets, government securities or mortgage-backed securities by the central bank, which puts, uh, and the central bank is the only institution in the world that can create a dollar out of nothing. Uh, It's fiat currency. And so they were doing that, and they were putting this significant amount of new money in the economy every month, uh, billions of dollars. And uh, and we were doing it, the Fed was doing it at the time, and I was on the Open Market Committee at a time when the economy was beginning to recover. So we were taking actions that you would normally take in a crisis, and which I agreed with, that is in 2007, 2008, and we were extending those out uh, indefinitely, uh, starting in 2010. And my concern was that in, when you do that, you are not only printing more money, but you're suppressing interest rates, you're pushing interest rates down to near zero. And that uh, raises the price of, of um, assets. So what I was afraid of is that, you know, not just they've talked about inflation uh, and prices, but we were having an encouraging inflation of assets for housing, for land, for commercial real estate, for the stock market. And, uh, you might think that's that's a good thing, uh, but if you are uh, owner of a home, it's a good thing. Your value of your home, you think, goes up unless you want to buy another home. And you're right. not better off. But if you're saving to have a house, um, it's just made, made more expensive for you. And by pushing interest rates down, your ability to save to build up that down payment is compromised. And so you start misallocating resources. You start... Uh, keeping interest rates zero, it, it encourages uh, people to take on riskier assets, to speculate, you make things less stable. And you also hurt the wage earner who doesn't have a lot of assets. Uh, whereas if you have assets, you are uh, upper middle class or middle class and upper middle class or large. The, the artificial increase in asset values favors you over people who are trying to save for that first ownership or you're trying to build a small business. And therefore, quantitative easing, uh, while it may in fact favor some, also hurts many others. And so I said, that's not how the market's supposed to work. Uh, and it gives me concern. And so I, I felt obligated to vote against that kind of practice. And it did. I mean, we saw housing values over the decade between 2010 and 2020, before the pandemic, accelerate dramatically and we saw real estate and we saw the stock market. So people who had assets, those are usually people who are wealthier. They won people who were trying to build from nothing uh, and were on wages. They uh, basically fell behind. And that is, I think, unfortunate. 
Yeah, so today we're seeing oh, this high inflation rate. The Fed is yeah. going to raise interest rates. As I said, I read this morning possibly four times that Goldman Sachs yeah. reportedly said that they're going to be doing it even more than what's already been announced. Um, just the big picture here, if you could, Doctor. I mean, what's sure. what's this mean to the average person? How's this going to impact them? Well, the average person is going to be they're in a bind regardless because if you let inflation continue as it is, and if the Fed continues to let money grow at the current rate and keep interest rates suppressed towards zero, then inflation will continue. And remember, inflation reduces our purchasing power. Uh, for a dollar earned, we can buy less. And the effect of that is that's, that's a very severe, regressive tax on the consumer. Uh, and that is, it hurts the less those people who earn less more than those people who earn more and can uh, see wage increases more easily. So if you don't do something about inflation, it harms a lot of, a lot of our citizens. On the other hand, uh, the adjustment, because we've been in over a decade of very easy, accommodative policy, creating lots of dollars, uh, trillions of dollars. I mean, uh, at the Fed in 20 and 20 and 21, we're adding $120 billion of new money uh, into the economy on a monthly basis. And so that's over well over a trillion dollars. So if you, if you let that continue, then inflation is only going to get worse. So the only way to do that is to cut back on uh, increase in those, having those dollars printed and put out there. And that means interest rates are going to come up higher. Now, the, the downside of that is it's going to raise interest rates. And so if even though um, you will be paying higher interest on a house, the value of that house shouldn't increase as much. So, you you know, how you measure that is, is, is an important consideration. But the other part of it is if you're saving, if you're a saver and you're trying to, your interest rates that you receive in time will also increase and you'll be able to save and, and retain more of your savings with a higher interest. So there will be winners and losers. There were winners and losers when the Fed was printing tons of money, and there will be winners and losers as the Fed tightens it back down. The unfortunate thing is to let this get started in the first place. And uh, where you are having winners and losers defined, uh, and that creates instability and creates uncertainty, and unfortunately, that's the situation we're in today. Yeah. So the markets also have had a pretty volatile a month. Um, they haven't gone down in the way you think they would. I, I, I checked it the other day. Well, I looked at it this morning. I thought, boy, you know, with all that's unfolding right now, I would have thought they would have taken taken a hit. Uh, and you would think that uh, they would take a dive at the prospect of higher interest rates. Right. Um, what's going on with the market? Are we just waiting well, for the bubble to burst? Or what, 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 how do you read it? Well, who, who, I, no one knows for sure, but <laughs> right. a couple things to keep in mind. Well, because inflation right now is almost 7%, let's say, and interest rates are, let's say, 1%, uh, that means real rates, that is the real rate that you're paying, is a negative 6%. And so if the asset values in the stock market to continue to rise, why not just stay with that? With that? And so the, the, the the incentive to continue to invest with negative interest rates is pretty strong. Number one. Number two, I think there's a real question in people's mind 
uh, about what the Federal Reserve will do. Yet, four four rate increases sound like a lot, but there'll be quarter point increases probably, mm-hmm. and four of them is one percentage point. One percentage point. Right. So right. interest rates go from one to two percent. Now that's a doubling of interest rates, but it's nowhere near the five percent that under normal circumstances with a balance in the economy that you might see. So the market is saying, you know, we're going to do that. Now, number one, number two, if the economy, if they do raise interest rates, one percentage point or two percentage points, uh, it will slow the economy. People know that it does mm-hmm. risk a recession. Mm-hmm. And there is a strong view among some in the market. I suspect that the Fed will back off of doing that. That's what they did in prior in, the fall of 2019, before the pandemic, when the market started seeing problems, the Fed was tightening and they completely backed down. And so the market is saying, well, I'm going to look at their past behavior and I'm going to anticipate that they will continue that behavior in the future. That is, the Federal Reserve will continue that behavior in the future. And therefore, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see. So I'm going to stay in that because even now the market's going up and up and it more than offsets the the uh, the rates I'm going to get if I take it out of the market and put it in a right. savings account or or a, a CD or even a short-term treasury bill. So the market is, mm-hmm. you know, the market is judging the Federal Reserve by its past actions and waiting and seeing, and they're going to stay in the market accordingly. That's why you haven't seen a big, a big run, a consistent run. Now, if over time they become more convinced that the Federal Reserve is going to continue to raise rates until they get inflation down to less to 2% or less. Well, then you might see some reduction, some panic on the market. But I think the Fed will react very quickly to staunch that panic by easing their money Mm -hmm. again. So it's a, it's they're, they're betting on past actions. My guest today, Dr. Tom Honig. If you want to join us, I only have him for a few minutes today. Our toll-free number, 888-914-9149. Lloyd in Eagle River, Wisconsin. You're on deck. I'll take you first when we return. We're taking a look at the Fed's possibly, um, well, we're taking a look at easy money policy. Uh, The history of it and what it might mean for your future. And as I said, we'll take a few of your calls as well. It's 888-914-9149. Our conversation continues right after this. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Get connected. Drew Mariani on Relevant Radio. Well, thanks for joining me. If you're just tuning in, taking a look at uh, what's happening with the economy and inflation and what it means for your interest rates. You know, we all have to, uh, we're all affected by it. Uh, Persistently high inflation combined with, you know, labor market uh, near, you know, full and near full uh, employment. It's going to push the Federal Reserve, they say, to raise interest rates more than expected this year. And uh, the Wall Street uh, firms, uh, Goldman Sachs, Wall Street firms, chief economist, a guy, uh, there, I read earlier today, says they're going to possibly enact four quarter percentage point rate hikes in 2022. Uh, it's a little bit more aggressive than we, we've seen. But uh, my guest today, Dr. Thomas uh, Honig, he basically says, okay, that totals of 1%. And, and doctor, you are right uh, when we talk about that. I mean, if you take a look at interest rates now just for a mortgage, <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculously low. I think about my first mortgage, what interest I was paying on it. 
versus where we are today. Over the past decade, we've seen them do nothing but go down, 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 down. So even though we might see a spike, um, you know, it's it's uh, interest rates are, 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 you know, really historically low right now. So which is not a bad thing. Uh, let's go to Lloyd in Eagle River. He's got a question for you. and We'll grab a few calls. Lloyd, good afternoon. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for taking my call, and uh, God bless you for what you do. And thanks, uh, relevant radio, and for speaking the truth. Um, the reason I'm calling is you and you were just talking about um, the stock market. The stock market is way overvalued, way blown out of proportion. I am not going to keep any money in a stock market. I got everything in cash. The other thing is, if the government starts pumping up the interest rate. They can't pump up the interest rate because we got trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. And I'm not an economist. I'm a nobody. But where are they going to get this tax revenue to pay the debt if they start raising this interest rate up? I don't I don't get where anybody can't see that this country is in terrible, terrible disaster shape right now. All right, Lloyd, thank you. Let me let me hold you on that point. Let me let Dr. Honig respond. Let him answer that question for you. Well, uh, I think your concerns are, are, are legitimate. I think uh, given the amount of debt that this country has put on, and I'll just tell you, in 2008, uh, the debt in the country was about $10 trillion. In 2015, it was about $18 trillion. And today, it's about $30 trillion. So we have, we have really increased the amount of debt, and the Federal Reserve has been a part of that by enabling the government to issue that debt at very low interest rates by buying a big portion of it into their own portfolio. And so, and, and even now with the interest rates as low as they are, our interest payment on the debt, total debt, federal government debt is about a half a trillion dollars. So if you, if you just double the interest rate on that, you can see that the effects begins to have. Now wow. you're, you're, you're not going to get the tax money for it. It'll put a tremendous amount of pressure on the federal reserve to print the money to pay the interest on the debt. Uh, that can be done. Uh, you, you merely buy more, have the federal reserve buy more of those government treasury debt instruments. Uh, and that uh, is used to pay the debt. Uh, and that benefits people who owe that debt uh, just in the, in the sense of the, of the cash flow they receive. And so um, that will only make the debt worse, right? Because you're, you're borrowing to pay your interest. Uh, that doesn't pay down the debt. Uh, the way, the only way, and it will be a long, slow process, is number one, uh, to begin to uh, have your debt, your borrowing, increase at a rate slower than your national income. And it's way over that right now. And so that means um, higher interest rates. Uh, they are going to have to take on more debt uh, to, to pay for the interest on that. Others will have to slow down uh, and then hopefully get things in balance to where the economy can start to grow. Uh, and there is a risk that we could go into a recession. So the Federal Reserve and the government uh, have a very significant challenge ahead of them uh, if we're going to rebalance the economy for the long term, for posterity. And I, I don't know that I, I see that right now. We're still talking about increasing the amount of debt more to more programs, which I think from a humanitarian point of view, you might think they're very good, and I would agree to that 
but mm-hmm. can you afford them all right. uh, is really a hard question for it. But the one thing is, yep. uh, if you let inflation get out, it'll go above 7% or 8% or whatever. Uh, that has very, very significant adverse effect as well. So they have a, they're in a bind, let's face yep. it. Yeah, well, I don't know what the solution is. Bill in Philadelphia, let me sneak you on before we run out of time. Bill is listening to us in Philadelphia, doctor. Uh, go right ahead, Bill. Hey, gents, thanks for having me on. Just a quick question. We've been talking about interest rates and inflation, inflation, debasement of the dollar. Um, I pulled a lot of my money out of the stock market uh, right around the crash and uh, did well with that getting out in rain time. And I've put a lot of it back into Bitcoin, which is supposedly an inflation hedge. It's done well every year. If you ignore the volatility over the 10 years, it's done very well. It seems to be doing well. It's been taking a hit because of the hawkishness of the Fed. But I just wanted to get the doctor's uh, opinion on that. It's a great question. Yeah, doctor, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Sure. What is your take? Well, I think, I think cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, is a, is, a, um, is a substitute in the sense of a virtual currency. So it's not; it doesn't have any in, uh, tangible asset behind it, uh, Bitcoin anyway, and those kinds. And it's it's been able to go and prosper because the printing, the very significant printing, in my opinion, that is, yeah. very significant printing of dollars, fiat trillions of dollars. So people are looking for, uh, like you say, a hedge, an inflation hedge. And so the Bitcoin has a it, it has a kind of a regulator in the sense of a uh, uh, formula that you have to do uh, mining mm-hmm. that uh, controls how fast it can grow and people are looking for that kind of control and therefore put more confidence in that and that means it will be successful now whether it will continue to be that will depend to some extent on whether or not the federal reserve starts to slow its own printing of money and and assures the value of its currency uh, and so you are you are really balancing the, your concerns that the Fed will continue to print money, uh, and therefore you will have a hedge against the possibilities they could bring it back into control, which would make Bitcoin less attractive as an inflation hedge. So you'll have to, like anything else, you make your value judgment and your own estimate of uh, what the Fed's going to do and how things are going to turn out, and you invest accordingly. And Bitcoin is one choice that you have. Well, Bill. Bill, thank you. I got to hold it right here. So I have less than a minute to go, but a great call, and I, I do want to talk about cryptocurrencies maybe later in the week or in the coming week. Um, it's well worth a deeper conversation, Doctor. Thank you for your time. Thanks sure. for your expertise and your service to the country too. It's great to have you here with us. I look forward to catching up with you again. We'll continue to uh, hopefully talk more in the future. It's been my pleasure, and I, I hope I've been helpful. Thank you very much for having me. You, you certainly have. That's Doctor Thomas. Honig, he's a distinguished senior fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. And before that, he headed up the FDIC. And before that, he was actually the president of the Federal Reserve's Regional Bank in Kansas City, which automatically made him a member of the Federal Open Market Committee that votes on issues like raising and lowering interest rates. So good to have somebody with such deep experience. Stay with me, though. When we come back, let's pray. All right. Let's pray, pray, pray. I'm going to pray the chaplet for you and for your needs. Let's ask God for his mercy. All right, we'll do that right after this.